So uh, the greatest export from North America to Europe is actually warm weather. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Hello and welcome to the Bjorkness podcast. Hope you're all staying safe out there and delighted to welcome you back once again. I'm Stephen Alton, here with my colleague Ingil Pilskov. Good day. And we work for the Bjorkness Centre for Climate Research. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing jet streams, primarily the polar front jet stream, a flow of strong winds concentrated in a narrow band in the mid-latitudes that is crucial in shaping much of the weather and climate for those mid-latitudes. Many extreme events in temperature and precipitation are caused by changes in this jet stream, making understanding it vital for the grand challenges on circulation, climate sensitivity and weather and climate extremes. Joining us today is Tim Woolings, an Associate Professor at the University of Oxford, who's been a visiting researcher at the Bjorkness Centre for the past six months. Tim, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. Welcome. You're an expert on large-scale atmospheric dynamics, especially the features that affect mid-latitude weather and climate. You literally wrote the book on jet streams. I believe it was called Jet Streams, A Journey Through Our Changing Climate. So for the benefit of our listeners, how would you describe jet stream and how does it occur? So the the jet stream is really a big, uh, strong current of air that encircles the, the whole globe. Um, there are some in both hemispheres, one encircling the northern hemisphere and and one encircling the, the southern hemisphere. Um, they're very very strong, particularly high up. So about at, about at 10 kilometres up, where planes like to fly. Uh, so you might be familiar with the idea that uh, planes travelling from North America to Europe are often a bit faster than, than planes going the other way, uh, and that's because they take advantage of the jet stream uh, tailwinds. Um, so while the jets are strongest quite high up in, in the atmosphere, uh, actually, the, particularly the polar front jet that we're talking about uh, mostly today does extend all the way down to the surface. Uh, and so we really feel this as, a, as our prevailing winds. So in, in Europe, we have prevailing westerly winds uh, and, and we're really feeling the kind of underbelly of the jet stream there as it kind of scrapes across the surface. So how does this jet stream form? Mm-hmm. So there's a, in general, there's a few types of, of, of jet streams. Uh, they're all kind of most basically connected to the temperature difference between the, uh, the tropics and the poles. Okay, so we have a lot of sunlight coming in at the tropics uh, and the atmosphere and, and to some extent the oceans have to transport some of that energy uh, towards the poles to kind of balance the energy budget of the atmosphere. Um, uh, and so the motions that, that set up, that, that kind of achieve that heat transport, leads to lots of air kind of swirling around. Um, and because the Earth is, is rotating, a natural consequence of that is, is that we form jet streams. Um, so they're really, really fundamentally tied to the, to the temperature contrast between the, um, between the tropics and the, and the poles. A uh, couple of months ago, we had uh, Professor Camille Lee. I know you know Camille quite well. And she was on the show talking specifically about storm tracks. Mm. Uh, just for reference, she was talking about this sort of upper level flow and how you get the shortwave kinks in it. 
mm-hmm. and uh, you get this sort of positive vorticity feeding into storms, providing energy to help spin up storms and intensify them. Mm-hmm. One concept that came up there was the idea of uh, planetary waves or Rosby wave. Mm-hmm. How does the jet stream relate to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the jet stream is, is intimately connected to, to Rosby waves. Um, so Rosby waves are, are kind of waves of, of weather systems. Um, so they're uh, we see them in the atmosphere as like a train of weather systems, maybe a cyclone, then an anticyclone, then a cyclone. Um, and so these are, those are vorticity centers and the jet will kind of snake around those. Um, uh, but crucially for the, for, the, for the maintenance of the jet, these waves tend to grow and develop in, in the mid-latitudes where the atmosphere is particularly unstable. Um, and then as the, as the Rossby waves propagate away from the mid-latitudes, either to the north or, or most often to the, to the south, towards the equator, um, as, as the waves move out of the jet, that tends to kind of suck momentum back into the jet and, and reinforce it. You mentioned a couple of times that this uh, jet just sort of snakes around, and it's, I think it's centred mostly around sort of 60 north, but it does snake down to mm-hmm. sort of 40, even 30, mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it moves around a lot. Mm-hmm. Is there anything fixing this? I mean, mountains, mm-hmm. do they have a role in, mm-hmm. in pinning where the jet is? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the jet's at 10 kilometres, mm-hmm. the Rockies go up to like four kilometres. Mm-hmm. Does that have an impact? Yeah, so, so the Rockies uh, are actually particularly important because um, the Rockies lie in, in, in a part of the world where the jet... Um, is quite deep again. So, so as we said before, uh, the very bottom of the jet is the surface prevailing winds, and so those do hit the uh, do hit the Rockies, um, and that has a big effect on the atmosphere. So, uh, so air that tries to go over the Rockies is essentially kind of squashed in in the vertical, um, uh, and these set up kind of stationary Rossby wave patterns, which really shape the jets uh, all all around the world. Um, so, so for the Rockies, in the Rockies, for example, just downstream of the Rockies, so on the um, over North America, the jet will tend to be coming from a from a north uh, a northerly direction. So we have a lot of kind of cold air in winter over over northern Canada um, and, and and North America. Um, but then coming across the Atlantic, the jet will kind of bounce back uh, and be angled a bit more from the south towards the north. Um, and actually, it's that it's that kind of tilt of the jet bringing kind of relatively warm southern air um, over Europe, which does a lot to kind of keep Europe mild in, in winter. Yeah, because, mm. I mean, our latitude here in Bergen, um, but even from where you, mm-hmm. you are in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. is actually quite far north compared mm-hmm. to uh, Russia, um, mm-hmm. Eurasia, or mm-hmm. compared to North America, our climate's really warm and balmy by mm-hmm. comparison. And mm-hmm. This is primarily mm-hmm. the jet? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, it's often attributed to the Gulf Stream, uh, and there's a lot of confusion, actually, between the Gulf Stream and, and the Jet Stream. Um, so, the, so the Gulf Stream is, is an ocean current, so it's a bit of warm water, particularly off, off the coast of Florida and, 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 um, and that side of the, of the US. Um, uh, whereas the Jet Stream, as, as we've said, is this big current of air in the atmosphere. Um, uh, so the Gulf Stream in the ocean is part of a kind of a wider system of currents in the ocean, which does keep the Atlantic warmer than, than we'd expect. So the ocean water uh, here off of Bergen is, is warmer than we would expect for its latitude, and that, that does play a role. Um, but at least as important, probably even more important, is, is the, the fact that the jet stream is tilted so that our prevailing winds are from the southwest mm. um, rather than the west. And so we're bringing warm air up all the time from the south. You say the... Um jet stream sort of is tilted in the 
North Atlantic. And this is quite interesting. I know there's work done at the Bjorkness Center uh, by Erica Madonna, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. and uh, she's looking at categorizing different types of jet stream or what mm-hmm. the jet stream looks like under different conditions uh, mm-hmm. over the North Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, if it meanders as much as you say, can mm-hmm. that be done? Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's definitely is. It does. That's very interesting work, and it's. Um, I mean, the North Atlantic is really special for for the jet because it's uh, it's the region where it's most variable, in a sense. So, is the um, if we follow the jet around around the northern hemisphere over Asia, the jet is really pinned to the um, to the edge of the Hadley cell. So, it's mm-hmm. a kind of a purely subtropical jet. So that's pretty fixed in location. Um, even as you come across the Pacific, we have a very strong um, subtropical component of the jet, so that's mm. relatively fixed. And then the Rockies exert it, their influence, and you have quite fixed patterns. Um, whereas over the over the Atlantic, things really kind of open up, um, and so on average, we have a, a tilt uh, in the jet. But it can really move a lot. Sometimes the jet can be way up, kind of touching Greenland. Um, other times, it can be right down to the south merged with the, the subtropical jet, which goes over, over Africa. So there's a huge variability um, in the North Atlantic region. So you can look at this as you're having a rope that is holding fast at the north side of the Rocky Mountains, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you wave, and the b- waves get bigger when it comes over the Atlantic. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, partly that's good. Yeah, I think um, one of the special things is that, so Earth is, Earth is kind of almost big enough to have two jets, in, in each hemisphere. Mm. Um, so if the, um, if the Earth was just a tiny bit bigger, um, we'd have a clear separation between the subtropical jet uh, mm. at the edge of the Hadley cell, so, so kind of, I don't know, 20 or 30 degrees north. Um, mm. And then there'd be a clearly separated polar front jet, um, uh, I don't know, maybe at 60 north, say. Mm. Um, uh, Earth isn't quite big enough to have that, have that really clean separation all the time. Um, but the situation in the Atlantic, so, so with the wave downstream of the Rockies, um, so locally it provides just enough, um, just enough space for there to be a bit of separation there between mm. the jets. Okay, mm. so over the Atlantic you do actually have a separation of... Uh, mm-hmm. So there's two prevailing wind patterns over the Atlantic. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, so on average there is a separation, so the polar front jet... Mm. Um, comes across to, um, uh, on average, I guess, towards the the, the UK and, and into uh, and into Scandinavia, which I guess is why Björkness and, and the founders of the Bergen School of, of Meteorology were were the kind of the first people to identify the the polar front, um, mm. uh, at least down at the surface. Um, uh, but then, yeah, looking way south in in the subtropics, so um, so <coughs> across the subtropical Atlantic and and over Africa. Then we have a development of a of a subtropical jet, um, which is a whole whole different beast. Yeah. Okay, so in the northern hemisphere we have our two jets, and primarily the one that influences North America, Europe, and so on is this polar front jet, eddy driven, mm-hmm. um, and it extends most of the way around the northern hemisphere. It's not always continuous. Sometimes it breaks mm-hmm. up separate, but sometimes it's continuous. How does that? translate to weather and climate how does that affect the weather and climate of europe so um so we've said already that the the jet is responsible for bringing us uh, warm air from from the south um but we've also said that it's it's very variable um so so times when the jet shifts shifts to the south of us um then we can expect to be in much kind of colder drier air um so a lot of the really cold events in winter will be when the jet has shifted to the south of us 
Um, so that's one of the kind of the main impacts. Um, we've also said that the uh, the jet is is eddy driven. It's very tightly connected to to the eddies, um, and those eddies are, are storms. They're they're cyclones and and, and anticyclones. Um, so whenever the jet moves around, it tends to take its storms with it. Um, so if the jet moves and it gets stuck in one place for a while, then that place can often get kind of storm after storm. So to, to have a look at the storms just for a moment, as I say, we've had a uh, previous mm-hmm. uh, episode on storm specifically. In the North Atlantic, you have the Gulf Stream. It uh, extends some distance mm-hmm. off the east coast of North America and extends mm-hmm. some ways out into the, the North Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, above this, you have the Storm Tracks, which is a statistical region or, or region where you statistically are more likely to have storms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, has that sort of tilt across the North Atlantic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then above this, 10 kilometers up, but extending quite a ways down, you have the jet stream, mm-hmm. which is also tilted. So I suppose one question is, are the storm tracks following the jet stream? Mm-hmm. Or is the jet stream following the storm tracks? Because mm-hmm. they're interlinked and they feed back energy to one another. So mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. one leads the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they are... Um, uh, they do kind of feed off of each other um, to some extent. So if you, you know, if you could kind of turn off uh, individual processes at a time, you'd find that the, um, you'd find that actually that there is some interaction between those processes. So the tilt that we see in in the in the storm track and the jet, it's kind of more than the sum of its parts in a sense. It's more than than what you could attribute to just the jet, and, and more than you could attribute to just the storm track. Um, so that shows that we have. Uh, we have some kind of tilt set up by the mountains and the, and the coastlines and so on. Um, and that would shape the jet even if there were no storms. Um, uh, but then the fact that the, the storms develop and also follow this tilted structure really adds to it. So the two coming together really does give you kind of more than the sum of their parts. Mm. So essentially then this is a, a sort of three-part coupled system between mm-hmm. ocean heating mm-hmm. uh, eddies created in the middle and then the jet above and you cannot really separate another important factor is probably the tilt of the of the north american coastline Mm. Um, so if you follow the coast of north america that itself is kind of southwest northeast tilted Um, uh, and so that sets up quite a a contrast already in terms of um, in terms of the kind of temperature difference between the land and sea Um, so that's another ingredient setting Mm. up the tilt there so the whole geographical setup of North America is <laughs> bring warm weather to Europe. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. And so, um, uh, so actually, surprisingly, um, subtle changes to that um, to that setup can can have big effects. So, mm. so for example, in the during the last glacial maximum, when a lot of North America was covered with a with a with an ice sheet, um, just the change in the elevation there actually had quite a big effect on the on this kind of stationary Rossby wave that comes off of, of North America. Um, and that really changed the jet over the Atlantic in Europe. So um, uh, a lot of the tilt, actually, that, that we see at the moment was, was destroyed in that period. And the jet w- went a lot more kind of east-west. So uh, the greatest export from North America to Europe is actually warm weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so we've got this jet stream and we've understand how it relates to structure in this complex picture over the North Atlantic. And we can see how it, it brings warmer air and we can see how it changes the, the storms and brings storms across or shapes mm-hmm. the storm tracks coming into Northern Europe. So in the large scale, this is a massive structure. And with the transport of warm air and the steady westerlies, it's affecting our climate. 
by changing individual storms on a daily, weekly basis, we're seeing how it's affecting our weather quite significantly. Mm-hmm. But there's been a lot of talk about how the jet stream uh, controls or interacts or causes extreme events, individual heat waves, droughts. Mm-hmm. How does that work? One of the key processes that gives us a lot of extreme weather um, related to the jet stream is, is a process called blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is when the um, so the Rossby waves that we've talked about that make the jet kind of meander north and south, um, when, those, when those waves kind of grow bigger and get out of control, then they can actually break. Um, and it's really similar to a wave breaking on a beach, except in that case you have, you have water that's kind of, kind of moving up and overturning um, in a breaking wave. Um, in, in a blocking event, we would have, we would have air from, from further south, which is moving up to the north and then kind of overturning and becoming broken off from, from the, the, the southern air that it came from. Um, so these are really big dramatic events which really disrupt the jet stream. Um, so that, that normal kind of influence we have with the prevailing winds um, and the weather systems coming off the ocean, those really get obstructed by this, by this block, this kind of break in, in the jet stream. And these can have amazingly different impacts. So in, in winter, as, we, as we've said, that's warm air that's coming off the ocean. Uh, so these, uh, these blocking events then, they give us the really cold periods in winter. Um, so we'd have a very kind of cold, settled period in winter when uh, we're losing a lot of radiation to space um, because we have, we have kind of clear, dark skies. Um, but equally, the same events in summer can lead to horrible heat waves. Um, because in, in summer, that's relatively mild air that we're getting off of, off of the ocean. Um, and we've, we've set up a block which has quite clear skies. Um, and in summer, we have a lot of daylight. And so the sunlight is just pouring into, uh, into this region. And so you can, you can get super hot events un, un, under the blocks in summer. And this has actually happened in recent decades, sort of the massive European heat wave, mm-hmm. uh, the Moscow heat wave. <laughs> Were these related to the jet stream? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, there are often kind of slightly different flavours of event. Um, but in general, for a heat wave to develop in, in the middle latitudes, you're going to have to find some way of, of stopping the, the, the jet and the, and the storms. Because if you, if, you, if you keep having storms coming in, you'll have cloudy skies and, and, and rainfall, mm. um, and you won't have a heat wave. There's actually a, a quite a significant heat wave going on at the moment in sort of Russia. Um, mm-hmm. and northern Eurasia. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know if this has been related to the heat, to the jet stream as well? Or? Um, I haven't actually looked at this one so much, to be honest. Uh, I expect actually the, the core of the jet is probably further south, I guess, in that region. Mm-hmm. So, so it'll probably be, probably be related to a Rossby wave. But we, I mean, Rossby waves kind of focus on, on the jets, but they don't, they don't need a jet. They just need to have a kind of a westerly background flow. Um, mm. So you can have kind of Rossby wave anomalies at quite high latitudes without a jet stream there. Um, so one relatively hotly debated idea in the literature is that uh, changes in the Arctic are affecting the jet stream. And this, of course, is causing changes in the climate, the weather, and in turn, these extreme events. Now, we know the Arctic is warming much faster than the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. but is that connected to the changes in the jet stream? Is there a link there, do you think? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's certainly been a very big, a very big issue and that's been debated a lot, um, both in in, in public and in in the the scientific community. Um, so we know that the jet stream is, is, is intimately related to the temperature contrast between the tropics and, and the poles. Um, so as the, as the Arctic warms, and you're right that the, 
um, the Arctic has been warming particularly strongly in recent decades, and we do uh, we do expect that as a part of climate change that the Arctic will warm more quickly than than other regions. Um, uh, so it is it is possible that the warming in the Arctic has has affected the jet stream. Um, uh, to be honest, though, there's there's quite a lot of conflicting evidence on, on whether it actually has so far. Um, partly because it's it's such a uh, the kind of the, the jet stream and the storm tracks that's it's such a noisy system we have a lot of variability from from week to week and from year to year uh, and even from from decade to decade um, <clears throat> so uh, it's really not clear given all this this kind of level of background noise that the the warming arctic has had a has had a strong effect on on the jet stream so far okay we see a lot of variability essentially from year to year so and, and we're familiar with that in the mid latitudes we can have good winters and bad winters and and you know <coughs> cold summers and hot summers and these are associated just with variability uh, in the jet um i mean certainly in in the future we do expect the arctic to have a have a major effect on the jet um so as the as the arctic warms and, and the tropics warm it's almost like a kind of a tug of war on, on the jet stream as to which of those two, uh, which of those two factors is going to win out, um, and so certainly, you know, both both are very important, and and ultimately, what happens to the jet will depend on a balance between the two, so not just to to you know to one particular factor. So you mentioned sort of going into the future here. Now the models are doing better and they're improving. Um, they're still not perfect, as you say. Some of the details are getting missed, mm-hmm. but from a, a basic point of view mm-hmm. you've got the cold air in the poles you've got the warm air from the tropics and where these are meeting you're really generating this sort of temperature gradient you've got this uh, difference of pressure and difference density and this is what's generating your your jet stream mm-hmm. this is generating your your fast flow of wind mm-hmm. so if the arctic is warming faster than the mid latitudes then that temperature difference is actually decreasing mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. it's no longer cold air meeting warm air it's it's sort of tepid air meeting mm-hmm. warm air so mm-hmm. what do we project sort of going out over the rest of the 21st century will happen to the jet stream mm-hmm. so the effect of the of the arctic on the on the jet stream seems to be quite focused on on it on its polar side one of the kind of technicalities here is that the so the wind is not particularly the wind as a whole that's related to the temperature contrast between the um uh, between the tropics and, and the poles, is actually the vertical gradient in, in the wind. Um, so if you have a stronger co- temperature contrast between the tropics uh, and the pole, then you will have a stronger vertical wind shear. Okay, which means that as you go um, as you go up in height, the the jet will be getting stronger. Um, <clears throat> so it's not it's not kind of a simple effect as to whether the jet will, will get stronger or weaker. Um, uh, and actually, one of the um, uh, most often when we change the Arctic in, in computer models, what we tend to see, uh, kind of surprisingly actually, is that the jet shifts. So instead of strengthening or weakening, the jet will, will shift around. Um, most often it will shift south. Um, and that's the result of a complex interaction between the, the storms, you know, the eddies and, and the jet itself. Over, overall, the effect of the Arctic seems to be to push the jet south as the Arctic warms. Uh, but equally, the effect of the tropics as, as they warm uh, tends to be to push the jet north. We called it a tug of war, but it's really a kind of a push of war between the tropics and the uh, and the Arctic as to what's going to happen to the jet. I can see that that's uh, about all the time we have today. 
The jet stream is clearly a critical component to understand both for our knowledge of the climate system, but also for our ability to predict weather and perhaps more importantly, future extreme events. Tim, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. We've been speaking to Tim Woolings about jet streams. If you're interested in learning more, Tim's book, Jet Stream, A Journey Through Our Changing Climate, is available now. We hope you enjoy the show and we'll tune in again next time. From myself and my colleague, Ingil Pilskog, goodbye and stay safe. Thank you for listening. Thank you. You have now been listening to a podcast from the Bjerknes Center for Climate Research. The center is a collaboration between the University of Bergen, the Norwegian Research Center North, the Nansen Environmental and Remote Sensing Center, and Institute of Marine Research, IMR. The music is from Lee Rosevere, Arcade Montage, under a Creative Commons license, BY 3.0. Editor and responsible for the podcast is I, Ingel Pilskog, Associated Professor at the Western Norway University of Applied Sciences. The recording was done in the Cinema Hall at the Nansen Center.